Hi, you're having tea with Alice. This week I'll be talking with Rod Makem, who's a journalist and a very interesting chap. I hope you enjoy hearing our conversation. I enjoyed having it. A few warnings. Um, we were recording in Rod's apartment, so A, he wasn't drinking tea, which is shameful, I know, but he was drinking a beverage. And also there's slight background noise at various points. Uh, one is a washing machine that's spinning in the background and at one point decides to become loud and obtrusive. And then we also have a few sirens going past because Rod lives in a bad neighbourhood. <laughs> that's not true. Um, in terms of personal stuff, show stuff, I'm well. Thank you, everyone who's asked. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been really good to feel supported. Things are going well. I finished my show. I finished my show on Sunday and then I went to the hospital to visit mum and then I went and sat in my car and suddenly realised that I hadn't asked anyone to celebrate the end of the show with me. Uh, so I cried like a baby for about half an hour, which ended up being probably the thing that I needed to do after a while of sort of being very sensible and uh, effective. <laughs> if you want to listen to the show or see a recording of one of the nights, one of the, actually, unfortunately, one of the smaller, quieter nights, um, email me on alicerfraser at gmail.com. People who already have done that and have the link, it's the same folder. So if you want to see the visuals as well as the audio, you can... I think you can use the same link. Let me know if you can't. If you would like to download things and then give me money of some kind, uh, you can do that. Um, I have a Patreon page, but don't feel obliged. It's not something that I did for money, this putting it up online. It's just that I know some people are not in Sydney or some people couldn't make it to the show and are still interested in seeing me or seeing what I did in this show and I'm proud of it and I want people to see it, uh, even though I don't like the way I look on camera. I feel like nobody really does, so I should just get over it. Anyway, without wasting any more of your time, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Roderick Makem in his apartment. Partly tea with us. Like a kind of an acoustic, catchy yes. thing. A very small auditorium. So, uh, I'm having hot tea, and you are having. I'm having a rusty nail. A rusty nail, which is not. Uh, which is Scotch and Rambouille. And why is it called a rusty nail? I have absolutely no idea. Because it gives you tetanus. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so this week's podcast, I'm talking to Roderick Makem, who is a journalist who just got back from the Ukraine. Yes. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, you don't need the the, it's just Ukraine. There you go. I am ignorant. You got back from Ukraine. What, what were you doing there? Um, just going over to check it out, really. Uh, I was on leave from work, so I wasn't technically going over in my capacity as a journalist. Um, but I uh, just thought it would be interesting to, uh, to go and check it out. It's not every day you get to go and see an unofficial war zone. Um, um, you have odd instincts. Most <laughs> people tend to go to places where they get to lie on beaches rather than fear being shot. 
I didn't really fear being shot, though. Uh, Is that because the risk was low or because you're fearless? Slash <laughs> <laughs> uh, stupid. No, I'm, I am very stupid. Let's, let's not have any uh, misapprehensions about that. But, um, no, uh, once I got there, I, I realised um, it was really mostly peaceful. Um, the headlines you all see, of course, are everything that's going wrong, uh, and that's the nature of news anywhere. Uh, but the overwhelming majority of the Ukrainian population were just people trying to live their normal lives. I think that's really the interesting thing about people in times of crisis is that majority of the crisis is just living life and you only notice the things that are unpleasant. Yeah. It's the uh, same as if you hear about someone who has a bad boyfriend. You only hear about the bad things that they do and you're like, how can you even be with this person? <laughs> but 90% of the time they're just watching TV yeah. and cooking each other dinner and being quite pleasant to one another. It's only the 10% of the time where that, you hear the like... That they're a dick. That they're a dick, exactly. And so you get this dick picture <laughs> of Ukraine. Mm. But... Uh, <laughs> Texted to all the world. So you are normally a journalist, not a war journalist. Do you no. want to move towards war journalism? Is that why you went? Um... Well, not so much. Not so, yeah, I wanted to get a taste of it, but not not even so much war journalism. I just um, I just enjoy uh, I enjoy travelling and going to interesting places that most people don't. Um, and I figure if I um, can find a way to do that and combine it with journalism, then that would pretty much be the ideal lifestyle, at least for a few years. Well, most um, people don't go to war zones, so you're you're ticking boxes there. Yes. <laughs> But uh, no, I uh, I also had um, great, great discounts on uh, tourist amenities in war zones. Too. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was it was nice. I was staying in um, you know like a four star apartment complex for twenty bucks a night in Kiev. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty uh, amazing. Uh, so that was uh, that was fun. Um, was got to try got to try a traditional chicken Kiev as well. Oh. Which was one of the most disappointing culinary experiences of my life. Oh no! Why? <laughs> why? What was wrong with it? Uh, well, it um, they they replaced the uh, the garlic uh, in the the butter buttery center with dill. Uh, um, the reason dill's an insult, right? Mm. Oh, I mean, it wasn't bad, but uh, it's not garlic. It was a bit flaccid. Yeah, and uh, well, you, you hate to be one of those dickheads who uh, who say things like. I know this is your traditional food, but uh, you know we, we actually do it better than how you do it. Uh, and I was one of those dickheads. Did you actually that was say that to them? I didn't, but I thought it. Oh, well, I couldn't good. say it because you know they. Uh, I don't speak Russian or Ukrainian, um, <laughs> and the the waiter spoke no English. Um, maybe I didn't even get a chicken Kiev at all. Maybe you um, didn't. Maybe you got the dill maybe subpar I, yeah. dill thing, and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> what's he ordering this for?" The well, a not everything traditional is good. Mm -hmm. See bigotry. <laughs> uh, and um, you know typhoid and things mm. they're traditional not necessarily good mm. but the other roast th guinea pigs not a good uh, delicacy either no, no. You've, you've tried that yes where did you try that uh, that was in Peru you roast guinea pig yeah, I it was, feel... it's an old Incan delicacy they have um, they have murals of uh, Catholic country obviously of the, the last supper um, with Jesus and the apostles tucking into uh, to roast guinea pig uh, on some of the old churches there. <laughs> I find that upsetting. Um, but, I mean, I, I find guinea pigs upsetting even when they're not being eaten. Is that because um, of any sort of uh, scientific uh, concerns about them being used in experiments, or guinea pigs, um, as you will? Or no, is it... I find guinea pigs disturbing because they're so frightened. 
possibly because of all the scientific experiments. Yeah, they're, they're like, are you going to eat me? Are you going to test me? Are you going to squeeze me like a child? No, they're just so frightened and they're, they're, they're so mm. terrified that it's sort of infectious. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like when you see a comedian get on stage who's clearly not got it under control and then the whole audience just tenses up in a kind of a reciprocal fear. Mm. I find that nerve-wracking, generally. Um, I once uh, was in... Miami and was in Little Haiti and went to a restaurant where they they didn't the woman didn't speak English she spoke a sort of a Creole French thing, <laughs> and uh, I asked for the spinach dish because uh, there was spinach or chicken or meat unspecified, <laughs> uh, and I asked, so I said oh spinach sort of thinking I'll I'll be fairly safe I don't yeah. know what this place is like it's kind of cool and out of the way. Um, and the spinach thing had hooves in it. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, I, I hesitate to ask, but what, what sort of hooves? I'm not a veterinarian, I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, just not, not, not the kind of hooves that spinach grows, <laughs> I assume. Oh, dear. It's... Don't find a lot of hooves in food. You don't? No. Well, no, no, one, the... no one does. I don't You're know. clearly eating at the wrong places. <laughs> Um, I can give you an address of a great Haitian place. Haitian? <laughs> I, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that. Haitian? Haitian? Haitian. Is it Haitian? You know what is the interesting thing about being uh, somebody who reads a lot mm. but doesn't like talking to people very yes. much is that you will often... I'll often catch myself saying a word that I know and I know what it means but I don't know actually how to say it. I had that quite a lot growing up. Um, Read a lot, not many people to speak to. Um, Country boy. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, our, um, uh, the nearest town was about 400 people, and it was uh, 160-odd kilometres away along a dirt track. Um, so not, uh, not a lot of uh, opportunities to converse with my peers mm-hmm. growing up. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, would, uh, would read quite a lot, and have absolutely no idea how to pronounce the words that I was reading. I love that. If I'm talking to someone who is doing that, using words they clearly know the meaning of, mispronouncing them, I, I automatically find them a more interesting person because I assume that they're an autodidact, you know, that they're someone who's taught themselves and so they probably have a really interesting or unusual perspective on the world. So you grew up isolated. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. Why was that? Um, well, it's all my parents' fault, really. Uh, Usually is. <laughs> I didn't get much of a say in the matter. Uh, no, mum and dad um, were on a, a cattle station in northwest Queensland, up around the, the Gulf of Carpentaria. Mm-hmm. I, I'm doing something with my hand now that podcasters can't see, um, so I'll do a better job explaining where it is. Because you made people, a little croissant in the yeah, air. <laughs> that's the Gulf of Carpentaria. Um, if you uh, if you start at Townsville, and I think most people have a vague idea at least where Townsville is. Uh, and then you just go west for, uh, I think it's about 700 k's to Julia Creek. Um, and then you head north along aforementioned dirt track. Uh, and then you would have got to Arizona Station, which was where I, uh, which was where I grew up. Was almost born, uh, was actually born in Julia Creek, but mum had to be flown in in a little single engine Cessna um, because it was the middle of the wet season and the roads were cut. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. So you didn't have a, a home birth with dolphin music. No, I almost had. Uh, I almost had an aircraft birth. Though. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's uh, being born in the air, and so that's why you like travel. 
Yeah, let's go. No, I... Because <laughs> um, you, you like travel because you like being anywhere other than the middle of nowhere. Yes. Uh, there's, a, there's a few things to that. One, um, uh, one of my older sisters had a lot of Tintin uh, comics, and <laughs> I would read those. Um, to me, Tintin, Asterix and Obelix, yes. The Phantom... And Golden Age X-Men were what my uncle had in his bookshelf. <laughs> so I know exactly that feeling yes. of working your way through someone else's collection. Yeah. So, so becoming a journalist, uh, growing up, I just thought a, a journalist or a reporter was just a, a, someone who went around the world having cool adventures like Tintin. <laughs> oh, and you didn't so, realise it was all about dying media in a modern world. No. Competing uh, with and clickbait. Oh, it just hurt me a little. Oh. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and, uh, and the other part was uh, my parents both did uh, quite a lot of travel themselves. Mum mm. was, uh, was an air hostess for Qantas, I think, in the 70s. Mm. Um, and, uh, and also did some work in London with the Australian Wine Board. So your mum must be super glamorous, because 70s air hostesses <laughs> were, like, super glam, right? They had to... Yeah, mum had a bit of glam back in the 70s. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I would love to see pictures. Did she have hair, like big hair? Uh, oh, like the proper, like, beehive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, dad was, was hopping on ships heading up to Philippines and, um, and Indonesia in the, in the 70s as well, um, just checking it out. Um, Why not? As you do. So you've got adventure in your blood. Yes. That's excellent. So in this podcast, other than having tea slash the thing that you're having. Mm -hmm. um, Apparently Frank Sinatra's favourite drink. Oh, is that why you drink it? No. Because it makes you feel debonair? (laughs) No. No, I um, didn't actually know that until I'd already got drunk on them the first time and decided that I liked them and then... The bartender said, oh, did you know that was Frank Sinatra's favourite drink? And you went, I'll have a million! (laughs) Um, So the thing that we do in this podcast, we don't have to, but if you'd like to, Mm -hmm. there's a bit called Wait, Wait, Hear Me Out. Okay. I don't always do it, sometimes I do it, and it's just an idea that you have about the world that you couldn't ever condense into a tweet. You could never, you never, you'd never be able to put it as a headline it's something that you need time and space to explain because that's yeah. what podcasts give you that no other medium, like radio, you've got to get it out in two and a half minutes. TV, you've got to get it out between ad breaks. This is, this is the forum for saying things that you could never say anywhere else. Okay. I'm now trying to think of... Uh, well, the, the thing that immediately sprang to mind was something that I probably could put in 140 characters, so it doesn't really... Well, hit me with it and, and tell me uh, if it needs more explanation. Well, it's, uh, it's more or less that um, just, uh, just that people... I, I think most people are actually fundamentally good, but groups of people are easily led astray. Okay. Uh, um, and uh, and there's there's nothing particularly profound about that or original even it's it, I'm sure there it's observations that have been made many times in the past but it was something I was thinking about um, uh, while I was in Ukraine recently um, and uh, and again just just talking with people in the street those who spoke English or once I found myself an interpreter uh, mm. speaking to, to people through her um, and uh, and yeah it was just uh, yeah, if for example in uh, in the city of Kharkiv which was 40 kilometers from the Russian border and you would expect um, you know people to be very very frightened and concerned about what was going on and most people were just going about their lives there were performance artists um, living statues just standing in the park with children trying to get them to move um, kids going on pony rides um, and uh, and it's like these are just 
he's just good people. <laughs> See, that's uh, interesting. But at the, but at the same time and in the same environment, there were um, you know groups of people, and I saw one of these groups uh, when I was there was um, a group of pro-Russian protesters. It wasn't a lot of people. It was maybe 80 people out of a city of a million, million and a half. Mm. Um, um, but they were clearly, you know, agitating for, for trouble, um, took, taking down the Ukrainian flag in the in the city square and chanting, you know, Russia, Russia, and telling me to get away and not take photos. Uh, I think they thought I was a spy. Um, not a good spy if no, they could no. see you. <laughs> not, not a good spy at all. I um, I tend to stand out in a crowd. Um, uh, for the again another visual gag. Uh, yes, Rod, I, I'm uh, very tall with pale skin and red hair. Rod I, is a very striking man. He's uh, brought up on 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 cattle. <laughs> <laughs> Not the kind of skin you would expect in uh, remote rural Queensland. No, you no, must have as, gone through a as, lot of sun cream. As pale as pale can be, basically translucent. <laughs> It's, uh, uh, so yeah, I imagine in Ukraine you would have stood out. Imagine they're sort of stocky, potato-eating types. This <laughs> could be just my inherent racism or lack of knowledge. Uh, no, actually quite a, quite a mix in, in Ukraine. Um, uh, because, you know, there's only the, the Black Sea between them and Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, um, there's quite a, a, well, Turkish, obviously, uh, element to, to quite a lot of the people. Um, the uh, the the Tatars who I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation who took over a lot of Ukraine were the descendants of Genghis Khan, um, so you, occasionally you see a sort of almost Asiatic look. But then further west and to the north, it's it's Europe and there's you know tall blondes and and uh, and pale people as well. So it's a it's an interesting mix of a country actually in terms of looks. Oh, uh-huh. that's good. The, when I got to Turkey, the one thing that struck me was the the redheads. You get really dark. Really? Red. Yeah, you get. Um, I haven't been to Turkey, and that surprises me. Yeah, they're sort of astonishing looking people because they look Turkish, but they have this wildly, wildly beautiful red hair. I wonder how far back that goes, because originally the Celts were in uh, in northern Turkey way, way back before they eventually got pushed all the way back to well, Ireland. Um, but uh, but once upon a time, the Celts covered most of uh, most of Europe and uh, and were, had a very strong outpost in the area of northern Turkey. Surely it couldn't go back that far. So you have an interest in history, then? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> just ge- just put guessing there. I'm not I'm not I'm not a detective or a spy, but in case anyone's listening to this who knows more about in ancient case anyone's history listening than to I this do, at all, at all. Um, <laughs> That was uh, that was um, just something floating around my memory from my Year Twelve Ancient History course, which is quite some time ago now. So if there were any uh, slight errors in what I was saying, just you know, deal with it. I guess write <laughs> write a letter. <laughs> so to return to your thing, yes. Um, yes. you don't think people are easily led astray on an individual level? I think certainly more easily on a group level than an individual level. Um, I think uh, and. Well, working in media gives you a bit of an insight into that. Um, it, it, it comes down to, I can't remember who said it, but um, a person is intelligent, but people are stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, really wish I could remember who said that now. Um, anyway. Um, but Our listener can Google it. <laughs> but, uh, but basically, that uh, whenever you have a, a large group of people... Uh, 
you'll basically end up targeting the, the lowest common denominator and that will be the intelligence of the entire group, um, which is a bit cynical and a bit sad. Um, I also don't think it's necessarily true. Would it depend on the group? It depends on the group and it depends on the leader of the group. Yes. The, the, because I think people generally can default to being led by their basest instincts mm-hmm. because that's well, appealing. Definitely. Like, that's why you have clickbait. That's why you have, uh, you know, mob that's you mentality. That's why you have the Daily Telegraph. That's why you have all of these things that, are, that, that feed our basest urges. But one of the things about smart comedy is you see a smart comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, my next week's podcast, uh, which I've already recorded, um, is with a guy called Tom Rigglesworth. And he pitches high. Yeah. For the first 10 seconds, the audiences don't know what to make of him. And then he sort of ramps them on board and they go with it and they get these bright jokes that they might not even think that they could or should or would. Um, He brings people up and then people who don't quite get it laugh out of sympathy with the rest of the crowd and because the jokes are well-structured. And this is something um, my first arts review at Sydney Uni... Uh, there was this guy, Benedict Hardy, who was the director, and he, uh, I was just writing for that review, that was before I actually got in, Um, he used to say, sketches should be funny in a way that if people don't get them, they're still funny. So if people don't get that the joke is a political joke about Julia Gillard or a political joke about some other event or a reference to Madonna, if the person watching has never seen that person... The sketch, the joke, the the structure, the way people look, the the performance should still be funny. Okay. And not every piece of comedy can be like that. Sometimes you want just one line of thing, and sometimes you don't want to appeal to everyone. But I I think people can be brought up by comedy, not necessarily dragged down. I think the That's fear. That's a good point. Yeah. The fear, or, or by anything really, by journalism as well, by you know. Clickbait might be the most appealing junk food, but if you engage with something and it's really, really interesting, you might have to put it. You might not do it automatically or on impulse. You might have to put it aside till you're more calm or you have time to address something or you're not feeling depressed. I think a lot of that clickbait stuff is just I need a quick boost. Yeah. But then you engage with it and it brings you up. You learn something that you never knew or. Whatever. I think people do have that capacity to be better. Oh, definitely. Um, but I, I think that uh, in terms of t- capacity of people to be better, a lot of times, if not... No, we'll just stick with a lot of times. Um, it, it, it will still be dependent on the individual themselves making the choice to, to be better. Um, I still think that... On mass? On mass... Um, the clickbait will win. <laughs> Why do you think that? What what is the what's the chemistry of that? People abdicating responsibility for the movement of a group, or peer pressure, or not wanting to stand out, or just relaxing into some kind of larger movement. What is it? This might just be because I'm a very very lazy man. <laughs> you think it's laziness. <laughs> I think a lot of it is is just pure laziness, and and laziness not just physically but mentally. Um, uh, 
before I came to Sydney, I was uh, I was working at a little regional newspaper up in Queensland called the Fraser Coast Chronicle, uh, which was a, a fun little place to start out in journalism. Um, and I wrote some I wrote some really uh, some really good articles. I was I was very proud of, um, and you know they did okay, mm. um, uh, and some of them actually did really well. Um, but the most popular article I wrote in this place was an article about a cat um, <laughs> who, had so depressing. Who, who had found its owner uh, or whose owner had found it via whatever, the, the tag, tag or something uh, and the cat had been lost down in Victoria and they're up in Queensland and three years later the cat comes back or something. It's like, well, you know, it's a human interest story, I guess. Um, feline interest story. <laughs> cats in the internet, what can you do? Um, <laughs> Uh, but was always a little disappointed that that was that was the story of mine at that place that most people that you know was read by more than any other uh, more than any other story that I'd uh, that I'd done. Um, in fact, the year that one was written, it was actually the most read story on our on our website for that year. And in the same year, I'd written some really amazing stuff, um, you know, about a. Uh, a policeman and his struggles with post-traumatic stress disorder, um, uh, about a family who'd, um, you know, lost everything uh, and, you know, things like that. Um, that you would have thought would be more engaging. Yeah, uh, and, and the people who did read that and engaged, um, you know, got a lot and just, just reading, you know, the comments that people read about, uh, would, uh, would put on the, the website or send in letters to the paper and things like that, they got a lot out of it, but they weren't that, you know, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a missing cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the interesting thing, I think. Uh, two things. Quality versus quantity. Mm-hmm. Like, you, if you go low, you'll get everyone. Yeah. But maybe you don't want to get everyone. Maybe you want a certain level of people. And there's fewer of them. And uh, so that's a question. Quality versus quantity. Mm-hmm. If only uh, wealth were positively correlated with taste (laughs) and then you could just say uh, I can make my living doing what I want to do or writing the kind of bright articles that you want to write. Well Um, I think there's more opportunities uh, you know in that sort of looking ahead uh, for journalism coming up um, over the next few years. Obviously everyone knows about the the problems that you know, traditional media and journalism is having, particularly in print media. Um, just well, they can't compete with Reddit. Exactly. <laughs> like, you just can't compete exactly. with clickbait, so you've got to compete with content, right? You've, yeah. You can't be uh, more fast food than what's already there. Yeah, you, you just can't. And so that's um, uh, that's sort of what I'm looking at next, actually, Uh Hopefully the bosses won't hear this. <laughs> no, but nobody will hear this. It's okay. <laughs> but uh, I'd, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I've just been thinking recently about uh, uh, about just heading off on my own and doing some freelancing stuff for a while, um, probably after tax time so I can get a nice tax return to sort of give me a little bit of buffer for a while. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, just, it, it, you know, setting up my own website, um, there's a. Uh, You're the new Ariana Huffington. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. There's a. Um, there was something I was looking at the other day online, uh, and it's basically a Kickstarter for freelancers. Um, you know, people 
put their content out there and then ask for money. Uh, and that's just, there, there are several different uh, things like that. Um, I have one called um, Patreon, which is... That might be the one I'm talking about. So it's not that uh, people are funding a particular project, they're funding the artist. It's like them being a patron, like mm. the Medici's in Rome, you know, yeah. that kind of... Yeah. I like your work, do more of the work, so you I'm need, not going to tell you so what you, to yeah, do. You need to have a fan base originally mm. um, before you can make use of it. Um, uh, but there, there are a couple of other ones as well I was looking at, um, as well as just, you know, your traditional uh, freelancing options in terms of, you know, your wire services, AAP or, or AP or whatever, sending your stories through to. Mm. Um, and I, I thought it would be good just to, um, yeah, maybe later on uh, this year just give that a go for a little while. Um, see if it works. If That's it doesn't, cool. uh, um, go go crawling back to the big bosses, if they're listening. If they're listening, <laughs> can you take like a work break or a sabbatical, or I pretend could... to be pregnant and take maternity leave? <laughs> I could try. You could try. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I could definitely. I could ask. Uh, I could possibly ask about the sabbatical only because um, they love the, uh, you. Well, the the acting editor at the moment, our, our editor's away um, on leave at the moment. It has been for a little while. It's his, uh, it's his wedding and honeymoon. Um, Fun. Yeah. Uh, the acting editor uh, who was uh, in charge while I was um, in Ukraine uh, and she was seeing the, uh, some of the stories I was sending back for the, the Herald and the Age and the rest of the Fairfax papers. Um, and uh, and she, she mentioned that it looked like I'd uh, I'd found my calling. I'm like, well, I'll just ah, store that one away. Um, that's and, nice. And uh, and you know, after, you know, after I've been back for a couple of months and I've got my tax returns and actually have some money, because um, you got uh, that scoop, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I um, uh, when I was in uh, the city I was mentioning before, Kharkiv. Uh, or Hard Kark- to find. Usually down the back of the couch cushions. Or Kharkov. Oh, um, that's in, funny. In Russian, Kharkiv in Ukrainian. Oh. Um, so Kharkov now then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's actually one of the regions. Uh, Donetsk and Lugansk were from. Like, I'd have to double check this, but uh, from memory, um, Donetsk and Lugansk were the two regions who recently had the the vote on uh, on federalization, um, and I think uh, the Kharkiv region uh, um, abstained from that. And a lot of that might have been to do with the uh, with the mayor who was shot when I was there. Um, yeah. He, uh, he was a, a man by the name of Gennady Kernes. I'm probably mispronouncing that. Sue me. Um, and don't sue him. I don't have He's no trying m- to save money. <laughs> Good luck. I have no money for you to get. Uh, I'm a journalist. Um, and uh, he, he had been trying to plot a neutral path between Russian influence and Western influence. Um, and considering that once upon a time he had been quite pro-Russian... Uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the people, a lot of the Ukrainians I spoke to in the city, uh, felt that him suddenly being shot recent after recently moving from pro-Russian to neutral was a bit of a message from the Kremlin, um, and it was, you know, it's there's a logic behind that. I um, haven't interviewed Vladimir Putin to ask him, so I guess I don't know. <laughs> but, well, you can't get close enough to him because you're not like a tiger. No, no. Uh, <laughs> Or a horse, or a, horse. Or a waterfall, or some yes. other bizarre or, symbol yeah. of masculinity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a bare 70-year-old chest. 
Um, I don't actually know how old he is, but he's too, he's too old to be getting around topless. Um, oh, come on. Let's, he can be beautiful at any age. He's a... Not on the inside. Not on the inside. <laughs> well, obviously not on the inside. On the inside, he's like a putrefact, a massive putrefaction and self-loathing. I assume, I assume he doesn't sleep well at night. I'd like to think that he doesn't sleep well at night. I, uh, I, I've long had, uh, had strong opinions on, you know, the humanity or lack thereof of Vladimir Putin. <laughs> um, Join the club. Anyway, uh, what the hell were we talking about before we got sidetracked by Vladimir Putin's chest? Uh, <laughs> that's going to be our full quote from this episode. Wait, uh, what were we talking about? We were talking about uh, group Oh, thing. no, no. They, uh, oh, well, we'd we, moved on from group We'd thing. moved on from group thing. We were talking about the, the mayor who got shot. The mayor who got shot and yes. your scoop. Um, anyway, so the, the reason I ended up in Kharkiv at all uh, was when um, uh, my mate and I, uh, uh, who I was in Ukraine with, uh, is an American bloke who'd lived in uh, who'd lived in Ukraine for a few months, a couple of years previous. Um, a good mate of mine. We uh, we originally met when we were both working in East Timor. Uh, anyway, he'd been telling me that as a reporter, there's only one place in the world I needed to be right now, and that was Ukraine. Uh, so I, I I went over there and um, and met up with him and met some of his mates, um, uh, who had some interesting stories to tell themselves. Uh, the ones who hadn't already fled the country. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, so Carson, this mate of mine, uh, we were trying to decide when we were leaving Kiev whether or not to go to uh, Donetsk where all the headlines were coming from um, and where all the Western journalists were or this other city, Kharkiv, which was the second biggest city in the country, 40 k from the Russian border. And I just kind of felt like there had to be something going on there. Ah, good instincts. Thank you. <laughs> Um, and so we uh, we got the train there, which was a bit of an ordeal in itself. Um, but we we eventually we eventually showed up there. And the first day we walked around, going uh, apparently those instincts weren't that great uh, because there's nothing happening. Uh, As you said, everything was deceptively normal. Everything was so normal. completely peaceful and normal. And yeah, like you know, like I said, the kids on their pony rides through the park and so on and so forth. Um, Really very nice place. We went to a we went to a Ukrainian hipster bar called uh, <laughs> Mustvich or Mustache. And, uh, of course, it was and, called and Mustache. And it had like a proper little uh, the hipster mustache on the logo, um, where they served uh, where they served expensive well not expensive because well their economy's gone to hell quite cheap cocktails, <laughs> um, uh, and um, and we went there and then we went uh, went to another place after that and we met some um, some some people who were telling us about the place and. Um, and uh, one of the guys who was uh, an IT professional. Were you wearing a leather jacket? Uh, no, I was wearing this jacket. Okay. Which All right, is just getting leather. the picture in my head. Yeah. Um, this jacket is a uh, black weatherproof. Sort of something. S- sort of slightly sleek and roboty looking though. Mm. It's good. It's good. No wonder they thought you were a spy. <laughs> Continue with your tale. Yeah. Um, and so uh, Oleg, the the guy that we met at this bar. Um, he uh, he said he wanted to be interviewed to talk about the situation in Kharkiv and how it wasn't as uh, as peaceful as it might look at first glance, um, and so we we met up with him yesterday, had a really good uh, good chat with him, got some got some good background to the place, and we went down to the uh, to the centre square where he said um, the protests would uh, would be occurring, well if they were, and sure enough that's where we ran into the uh, the eighty person uh, group. 
taking mm. down the Ukrainian flag and telling me to get away from their protest. Give me a shiny <laughs> jacket. <laughs> um, and um, and it was uh, it was just interesting. What's the to, point of a protest if you won't let a journalist take photos? I don't believe they thought I was a journalist. Like I honestly think um, uh, Oleg mentioned it, and uh, a woman, Irina, who ended up being our interpreter for the rest of the time in uh, in Kharkiv, both said, "Oh, they probably just thought you were a spy." Because um, <laughs> you look super Russian. <laughs> no, no, a Western spy. A Western spy. Why would? Why would there be Western spies spying on their pro-Russian protests and trying to because uh, pre like um, the whole thing about the pro-Russian uh, pro-Russian protest uh, movement in Eastern Ukraine from what I heard from several Ukrainians I spoke to including those in Eastern Ukraine uh, was that they were definitely being uh, whipped up by Russians who'd come across the border um, ununiformed soldiers basically. Uh-huh. Um, and just before I got there, uh, there'd been there'd been a story on CNN, I believe it was, where they were they'd taken photos of pro-Russian. Pro- Why am I doing the quote marks? Quote marks when you can't see them. <laughs> uh, where they t- they'd got photos of pro-Russian protesters in Crimea before that was taken over, uh, and then you know looked through them and seen well these people are actually. Russian soldiers, and you can see them, these same people in these other photos and so on and so Ooh. forth. Um, and so if there were those people, uh, Putin called them the green men, um, at, say, a pro-Russian protest in Kharkiv, they wouldn't want Western spies taking photos of them that they could then look at and say, oh, by the way, here's a photo of this guy, and here he is in a Russian military outfit somewhere else at another uh-huh. time. So they're pretend... Um, yeah, okay, I see. So that's that's why Oleg and Arena, I assume, both thought that... They thought that I was a spy and um, made it very clear that I shouldn't be there taking photos or asking questions. Uh, it's entirely possible as well, though, that uh, there's just a, a deep-seated distrust... Um, in a certain age bracket from people who, who grew up in Soviet times of anyone who's, well, Western, basically. Mm. Um, and, uh, and I saw that uh, a couple of years ago when I was in um, uh, Siberia um, and we tried to, to check into a hotel and the, the woman there just flat out didn't want to let us stay there because, well, she hadn't seen anyone from, uh, you know, Australia showing up there. So... Uh, actually assumed I was a spy and this other kid who was trying to translate for me was telling me she thinks you're a spy. Uh, Are you a spy? (laughs) (laughs) I am not a spy. That's exactly what a spy would say. I I am a spy. That's exactly what a spy would say. (laughs) Uh, uh, Anyway, yeah. It's a good story. Uh, That's... um, more or less my motivating motivating force in life is to have a good story to tell. Is that uh, what is that do you, do you in the absence of a religion I'm I'm assuming for no good reason mm-hmm. that you have no religion. <laughs> no, um, no, I uh, I don't. I'm um uh You don't look clean cut enough to have faith. Uh, I, I laugh at that for several reasons. One, because a 
girl wouldn't go out with me once because I was too clean and wholesome looking. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, I... Hey, uh, look, I assumed you were the kind of guy who could wear a leather jacket, so now you've, now you've got the, <laughs> the edge or whatever yeah. it is that you were lacking at that point. Um, but, uh, no, um, ra- uh, raised Catholic, went to a Catholic boarding school, gave that up very soon after leaving the Catholic boarding school. What made you lose your faith? Do you remember there was a moment or there was, was it just actually, a gradual thing? Um, it was, um, I, uh, I went over to, uh, to South America after finishing boarding school um, and I was over in Peru for about 11 months um, as well as travelling around other parts of South America. Was it the guinea pig Jesuses? It was, the, it was, it was, it was a little bit the guinea pig Jesuses. Um, you, you, can't, you, you can't have a last supper involving, uh, involving roast guinea pig and not raise an eyebrow. Um, but uh, no, I was, uh, I, was in this, uh, I was in this city um, with, uh, with some friends of mine and they invited me along to a church service. Uh, and it was, um, I can't remember the bloke's name, but it was some American evangelical who, you know, spoke not particularly good Spanish. Um, a little better than mine at the time, to be fair, but still not great. Uh, and he, he, we went to this service and he was just this dickhead standing in front of a group of people telling them what to believe, mangling their language. Um, and, uh, and I was just sitting there, I was sitting there going, um, I've never felt more uncomfortable in a religious service and I hate this guy. Um, and uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, enough for me to completely lose my faith in that instant. Oh, um, you should send him an email. Uh, but uh, but I was going, no, oh, you you're a joke, buddy. Yeah. Um, and I don't uh, want to be on your team. Yeah, I don't want to be on. And um, and it was all it was all downhill from there for me in Christianity. Um, wow, you definitely need to write that guy a letter. And just be like, look, I saw your service. You probably don't remember me. He was just such a douchebag. Um, as I mean, uh, if if you can imagine a very self righteous American evangelical <laughs> lecturing people in Peru, well, not really able to speak their language, but still completely convinced of his superiority over every single other person in the room based solely on the fact that he knows he's going to heaven. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't listen to him, you won't be. That's the sort of dickhead we're talking about. So he deconverted you. He did. It's the opposite of what a missionary should be yeah, doing. Really. It was the exact opposite of what he was trying to do. Wow. Yeah. That's it's nice. like when you try and turn on a, turn off a touch lamp, and it gets brighter. It's <laughs> uh, a good analogy for the yeah. loss of faith. Um, That's actually a, uh, a Mitch Hedberg joke. <laughs> well, we've got a good comedy savvy audience, so they probably will know that. I'm happy with that, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, Rod. Uh, well, I do need another drink. <laughs> That's all right. So we'll wrap up and let you get another drink. Is there something you want to plug? Your Ukraine stories. Send people to there. What, oh, yeah. what will well, they, they I get mean, there? Do you have a Twitter? Do you have a... Yeah, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. Um, there's only one Roderick Makem in the world, as far as I'm aware. Um, I'm the only... Well, I was only Roderick Makem on Facebook. You are unequipped. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, at Roderick Makem on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. and Roderick you can... or Roderick? Roderick. 
Spell it. R-O-D-E-R-I-C-K. It's a good old-fashioned name. And, uh, Makem, M-A-K-I-M. M-A-K-I-M. All right. Um, look him up. He's going to go get another rusty nail. Uh, and I will talk to you next week, uh, and we'll listen to the interview that I did with Tom Rigglesworth. You're having tea with Alice. <laughs>